Hebrews chapter 12, please, if you wouldn't mind turning there in your Bibles. We are closing out our series of faith, and we're opening up a series on the faith acts, or faith for acts, or the acts of faith, I suppose you could say. As we move into the book of Acts in a couple of weeks' time after Anton and Ange have uh, ministered here next weekend. And so I want to I land in this text, which is Hebrews chapter 12. And the reason why I want to do that is because we started in Hebrews 11 and we've kind of explored different aspects of faith. We've looked at the heroes of the faith. We've looked at these old, these people that lived long ago. And they were commended for their faith. They were commended for this, this ingredient that they had in their hearts and their minds and their lives that made them sure of what was hoped for and certain of what was not seen. Or they carried in their hearts an evidence of what was not seen. And so it sustained them and it allowed them to do great exploits in God, even though around them it didn't look like anything could happen. And so we, we looked at all the different stories of, of different people, Moses and Abraham and Enoch and all these different characters in the Bible. And uh, I want to end off this morning with this Hebrews chapter 12. And I think part of the contributions that have come this morning, I think, are apt in terms of where this, where this text particularly goes. So let's, let's read from, actually, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 39. And then we'll go through to 12, verse 5. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 39. These were all commended for their faith, all these people that we've spoken about, the, the lists of names of people that were spoken about, Barak and Samuel and all these guys. These were all commended for their faith, yet not one of them, yet none of them received what had been promised. Yet none of them received what had been promised. That's quite a thing, eh? So these guys are commended for their faith, and they actually... They actually fell short of what was promised. It means that actually even if we go to the grave, not seeing what we believe God has spoken to us about, we're actually in good company. It's not, it's not our job. The thing that pleases God is faith. It's the ingredient of faith that pleases God, not necessarily the great exploits in God. It's faith, because you can do great exploits without faith, and it doesn't please God. So what he's saying here, these guys were commended uh, for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us, so that, they, so that only together with us, they would be made perfect. So it ends off that kind of chapter 11. Then it goes into verse 12, chapter 12, and it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men that, you, that consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not 
yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood? And have you forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons? That goes into the next portion. I'm not going to get there. So what's interesting about these, not only these guys commended for what they have not yet seen, although they had faith for it, what he's trying to do is he's trying to encourage this group of people who are, I think in these days, are asking the question, listen, we put our faith in Jesus, but nothing seems to be changing. We put our faith in Jesus, but the Romans are still in charge. We put our faith in Jesus, and it's like I'm still suffering. I still am under oppression. I'm still, I'm still not where we should be. Should we be forgetting about Jesus and going, putting our faith in somebody else or something else? I think that's kind of what he's addressing here with this group of people. And those very words that I've just said could be said of us in this nation right now, in this universe, in this globe right now. We put our faith in Jesus, but what now? Nothing seems to have changed. In fact, things seem to be getting worse. What are we meant to do? And what he does, what the author of Hebrews does here, is he gives us a couple of handles around some of the things that we must do while we are waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. And even if that, pro that promise is not fulfilled in our lifetime, the faith that we need to have, that we need to go until we go to the grave one day, is the faith that we need to have in our hearts for the sake of the next generation that will stand on top of our faith and be encouraged by our faith and take the next step, and maybe they will see it in their generation. So, so he's, trying to, he's trying to get these guys encouraged around, man, you've got to, go, you've got to have hope. You've got to have hope, and which means you've got to have faith. If you don't have faith, you're not going to have hope. Unless, you, unless you've got faith, you're going to be preoccupied by what you see instead of what is spoken by God and what is unseen. So you've got to have this faith. We've got to be journeying in this walk of faith. And in fact, he transitions it to a race of faith. He starts to say, actually, you're talking. It's like you're running a race. And we'll get into that now. And he says this, you're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Since we have all these testimonies of faith, since we have all these men and women that have walked this road of faith, don't be discouraged. And he goes on. Can I just say this about that text? That text is not talking about that there are dead people in the sky looking down on us, encouraging us. That's not what that text is talking about. Just so you, to clarify that. When it talks about cloud, it means many. It's not talking about something in the sky. It's talking about there are many people. There's a, there are great many witnesses that surround us that are dead and some that are alive still that we can actually draw strength and courage from and help us with our faith. So what he's not saying is he's not saying that there is a group of people that are dead upstairs looking down on us and encouraging us. In fact, they are, the, the group of people that, that he's talking about, in fact, are not the spectators. They're not the ones looking down. It says there, have a look what it says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, throw off everything that easily entangles. What we have, friends, is a group of people, a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of testimonies and stories that actually are witnessing to us about their faith. And we are meant to be looking at them and, growing, and being encouraged. So in many respects, it's us looking at them rather than them looking at us. 
We are the spectators of their lives and growing encouraged by what God has done in and through their lives. They are the witnesses of the possibilities of, of what life can be with this element of faith in it. That's what this group of people are. He goes on and he says this, let us therefore throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So he says this, he says, if you're wanting to live this life of faith, if you're really wanting to live this life of faith, this enduring faith, this resilient faith in Jesus and this walk with God, take courage from those around you that are walking that walk. Because the same, their same God is your God. And the same God that's with them is with you. That's the first thing he does. And then he says this amazing thing. He says, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. So if, we want to, if we're wanting to get through this walk of faith, this, this journey of faith that God's got us in, we've got to throw off some things. We've got to throw off the things that slow us down, and we've got to throw off the things that trip you up. You've got to throw off the things that slow you down, and you've got to throw off the things that will trip you up. The things that slow you down are not necessarily bad things. They just slow you down. It's not for the season. And that, the thing that slows you down could be good for somebody else, but not good for you. Or it could be good for you and not good for anybody, somebody else. We've got to have a reality check around the season that we're in, in our, in our corporateness, in our individual, in, in our personal walk, in our families. And actually what's not good for us, things that are going to slow us down, the things that are going to hinder us, we've actually got to throw it off. So he's saying, if you want to walk this life of faith and you want it to be to the end, make sure that you get rid of anything you don't need for the season. Uncomplicate your life. Uncomplicate your life. Simplify things. Friends, we are, we, our lives are so complicated. And these things, screens, complicate our lives way more than we know. And we've got to be so cautious around what we're watching, the time, what time we're spending. If it's not helpful for the season we're in, friends, we've got to jettison it and say no to those things. And what he's saying here is that's a key element if we want to walk with faith. Friends, if, you're, if, you are, if your marriage is in trouble, you need to be spending time together. It's not time. It's not time for sport. Not saying for everybody, but maybe for you. That's what it means. It means what's hindering at the moment? What's hindering? Is there anything wrong with playing sport? No. But for the season you're in, I'm going to say no to that so I can say yes to my wife or yes to my husband. It's part of this journey of faith. If we start to understand this faith journey that God wants us on, this thing that pleases God, we'll start to live lives where we throw off everything that hinders, anything that slows us down. He carries on to say, throw off sin that and entangles you. Throw off the stuff that is tripping you up. Throw off the stuff that's tripping you up. 
And what happens, friends, is the things that are hindering us, the things that are slowing us down, can lead to things that trip us up. And in the season that we're in, the season that God's got us in as a, as a community, as, as, as believers in the generation that we're living in, friends, we are going to have to be, to have a resilient faith, we are going to have to be people that grow, grow encouraged by the community around us, those that are living lives, those that are seeing great exploits. It's great to see, hear testimonies of this young boy coming and saying, actually, God healed me, and now I'm in the band, and all these things. Friends, it should put courage in us. Actually, God can come upon us no matter how old we are, no matter how insignificant we think we are. Actually, God can use us. These are testimonies, and those, there's testimonies of those that are dead that are in the Scriptures, and there's testimonies that are in this community. That's why it's so key to be in community. You get encouraged. You get strengthened. So he says, actually be encouraged by the witness of those around you, the witness, the, the lives of faith, those that are around you. Let them speak to you. And then he says, I want you to throw off anything that slows you down. You don't get onto the running, you don't get onto a, onto, into a, um, a race dressed inappropriately. Imagine if you went to a, a sprint with snowshoes on. And think you're going to do well. No, get rightly attired. Get rightly dressed. That's what he's saying. Get rid of anything that slows you down. And then he says, get anything that trips you up. Friends, we have got to have a, a, what's the word? An incredible sensitivity to dealing with sin in our lives. It is not a season, friends, to be just, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. And you know what? For three, four, five, six, ten years, you've got away with doing this. I'm telling you, friends, it's getting to the time, the, the, the prophetic signs of the age of God saying, that's enough now. This is, is going to trip you up properly. And just because you've got away with it, it doesn't mean God doesn't know. God is unbelievably gracious. And God is unbelievably waiting for a moment of repentance. And the way we deal with that, that sin, friends, is through, uh, through repentance, is, to, is realizing that this is wrong. Having a revelation deep within you to say, actually, God, this is not the kind of lifestyle you've called me to. Actually, the lifestyle that you've called me to is, 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 is a whole lot looking more like you. It's a whole lot more love in it. There's a whole lot more kindness and generosity. Thinking of others more than myself. This stuff, because sin always thinks of yourself more highly than others. And this, this stuff that I've got in my heart now actually needs to be dealt with. And repenting. That's what repentance means. Repentance is not saying I'm sorry. Repentance is actually mean, it means I see the world differently because of this. Actually, this, this is wrong. Once there's a moment of revelation that this is not right and you need to be dealing with it, it leads you to say, I'm sorry, or it leads you to say, I didn't know how bad it was. And often, friends, it needs to lead you to say, go to somebody else and speak to them about it. Otherwise, that thing holds you and entangles you. In this walk of faith, be encouraged by the great cloud of witnesses of what it means to live in faith. Throw off all the stuff that's slowing you down. Get rid of all the stuff that is tripping you up or that could potentially trip you up. And if you can't deal with it and it's been a long journey, friends, go and speak to somebody. There's nothing like 
sharing something of sin or something that is shameful that actually just gets rid of the shame immediately. And some sin, friends, we need to deal with by sharing it. And if you're not getting free, come and speak to somebody. Speak to one of us. Speak to one of the leaders. There's forgiveness in Jesus. There's freedom in Jesus. There's no guilt and shame in Jesus. Quite simple, eh? Things that slow you down, things that trip you up. Then he carries on and he says, let us run the race. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So what we've got to understand is there's a race marked out for us. That is not Moses' race. That was not Abraham's race. And it was not Samuel's race. And it's not Lufefe's race. And it's not Dan's race. And it's not Derek's race. And it's not Kathy's race. And it's not Tom Butterworth's race. It's your race. There's a race marked out for you. And he says, what I want you to do is that I want you to know that race and to understand that race better, but I want you to run it with perseverance. There's a path marked out for you that I need you to have perseverance in it. It's an amazing thing, eh? We want to grow our faith, friends. Be encouraged by others. Get rid of the stuff that slows you down. Get rid of the stuff that can trip you up and get some perseverance. That's how we grow our faith. The problem is, is that we've got a faith mentality that actually everything's instant and in a moment and God can just, and he can, and he does. But maybe he's not going to do it for you and your race. And if he doesn't do it for us in our race, we've got to make sure that we hang on and hang in. And so what he does, he says here, he says, I want you to run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And that word perseverance could be translated endurance. He says, I want you to have some endurance. Another way that, another word that it could be translated is with patience. Remember Hebrews chapter 6 verse 12 says, it's through faith and patience you inherit the promises of God. So this, this perseverance, endurance is a patience under, under load. It's like you're carrying a load and you can patiently carry it and walk with it under God for long periods of time. That's what he's saying here. That's what he's saying to them. God can come in a moment and do something or do whatever. That's up to him. But friends, our responsibility, be encouraged by the believers, get rid of the stuff that slow us down, get rid of the stuff that's going to trip us up, and make sure that we've got an enduring spirit, a patient heart. A patient heart. That word, that word uh, which could be translated patience, literally could be, um, the literal meaning is remain or abide under. So we've got to have an ability to remain or abide under the pressure of whatever the situation or, and maybe it's not a pressure, maybe it's not like a, maybe it's something that you're trusting God for and you're doing your best, but, that, but it's hard work and it's difficult to keep trusting. He says, remain under that and run the race marked out for you. Perseverance is a key part of faith. It was quite interesting because of the word endurance. I went and I, I just Googled uh, Traits of endurance athletes. And they came up with four, four traits, one of the sites. I mean, there's tons of them. But I love these four. 
If you want to be an endurance athlete, if you want to be somebody that just doesn't give up, that keeps going, you've got to have these four things. The first thing he says, it says in that thing is, it says you've got to have resilience. And this is what it says. Resilience is present in athletes who can turn adverse circumstances, both physical and psychological, to their favor, favor quickly through coping mechanisms and well-established process. Most resilient athletes have tasted rock bottom at times, yet continually, continually find a way to right the ship. How's that? Being at the bottom doesn't mean you don't have faith. In fact, often it's because you've been at the bottom that God can take you into the new thing. Because there's a resilience that comes from being at the bottom. It's like, uh, and remember what James says. Eh? James says this, find it pure joy, my brothers, when you, when you, when you uh, fall into many trials. Because what happens is, is that those circumstances, those things, test your faith. And the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, and not like anything. Friends, perseverance is a key, key element of our walk with faith. Faith is not, we kind of the picture that we often have with faith is that it's so easy and it's just God and it's so light and it's so, no, faith, friends, needs perseverance at times. In fact, I want to say most of the time, we should get it the other way around a little bit in our minds, just so that we're not disappointed when things don't happen. And that's not heavy. That's not a, not a statement of faith. For some of you that are thinking, yeah, I stand, you, that's not faith. Friends, we've got to have an endurance in our hearts and resilience in our hearts. And resilience, like he says here, is one of those, one of those keys. The other one, how's this? For endurance athletes, consistency. If we want to have a persevering faith, we've got to have some consistency about us. They say this, consistency underpins the success and failure of an athlete's season. In fact, they get the consistency right, then you get the duration or the kind of, uh, the, the ability to run longer right, and then you get the intensity right. But it starts with consistency. Friends, even if you can't spend time with God, for example, or some people battle to read the Scriptures, please don't live under condemnation. If you can read three verses of a text, and you read three verses every day, that consistency builds something into our lives for our faith. So just read two verses. If you haven't got brain space or a thing to spend, to, to stay quiet for longer than two minutes, do two minutes every day. Be consistent. It's quite amazing, eh? Helpful. The, the third element of, a, of an endurance athlete is one is resilience. You've got to be able to find the bottom and kick off the bottom. Two, you've got to be consistent. Three, you've got to be organized. Organized. So what we do is we've got an idea that faith is kind of just, hey, God, God's going to come. Friends, unless we get organized, you know what? We said this, this, this was a reality of, a, of friends of ours a long time ago. 
They used to wake up in the morning, on Sunday morning, and decide whether they were going to come to church or not. They're now on eldership at a church. But that was their wrestle. And so we said to them, what you need to do is take that choice out of your paradigm. On a Sunday, we go to church. Get organized. Get consistent. So often we think faith, growing our faith, is this kind of big, massive encounter with God. Of course those are amazing moments. And of course those things give us things. But friends, this walk of faith allows us, needs us to be resilient, that when we're on the bottom, we know that that's not the end. That's the, the floor from which we kick off. Number two, that we are consistent. Number two, three, that we are organized. And the fourth thing, this particular thing said, it said, I love this word, it says they are brutal. Meaning, they don't let anything get in the way. What they do, what they do, is if they're aiming for that race and they're going to run a long, long endurance race, they make sure that nothing gets in their way. Amazing, eh? Walk of faith requires us to have perseverance, endurance, an ability to be patient in the midst of waiting. Be patient in faith, not patient, discouraged. Let's see what it does. And then he goes on and he says this. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Remember all the people that are around you that have got great testimonies. Throw, throw off some stuff, things that will slow you down. Throw off the things that will trip you up. Then he goes on and he says this, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. That the word used for fix there means this. Let me get it right. That word fix means this. It's a verb that implies a definite looking away from other things and a present looking to Jesus. So fixing our eyes on Jesus means that we've got to unfix our eyes of something else that we're looking to. So you've got to take your eyes off of there and put your eyes onto him. Friends, can you see this is how the walk of faith moves? Unless we've got our eyes fixed on Jesus, because you know what? To throw off stuff that's slowing you down and to throw off stuff that's going to trip you up, you need the power of God. So you need to be fixed on Jesus. And he says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Not only is the power of God there available through the power of the Holy Spirit that helps you get through things, but actually he is our ultimate example of faith. So what he's trying to say is don't fix your eyes on Abraham. Don't fix your eyes on Moses. Don't fix your eyes on the man of God or the faith healer or the faith preacher or the whatever that's around there. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Those, 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 those men and women that are there are there to encourage you and to take you on. But don't fix your eyes on them. Fix your eyes on Jesus because he's the author and the perfecter of your faith. It means that he started whatever's in your heart. He started it. That those desires, that faith element, he put it in there. He originated it. He, he was the one that started that. He was the one that stirred that. Keep your eyes fixed on him. And more than that, he didn't just start it and leave it. Actually, he is the one that brings it to completion. And Philippians chapter 1 tells us that, that what God started, he will complete. A walk of faith needs our eyes fixed on Jesus. 
And it's actually quite practical in many respects. And if we don't obey the practicals, we find it difficult to work out the rest of it. And so I think he encourages us here in a profound way. Must fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't fix your eyes on the path you're walking. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't fix your your eyes on the weight you're carrying. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't fix your eyes on the sin you're battling with. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't fix your eyes on the witnesses of the past. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't don't fix your eyes on the other competitors in the race or the other contestants in the race because that leads to comparison. Rather, fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't fix your eyes on the ultimate goal because the ulti- whatever that might be, the ultimate goal is actually Jesus. Don't fix your eyes on what is promised and all the promises and the great things. Fix your eyes on Jesus. When you get him, you get everything. And so what he's trying to say to them is make sure that you are fixed to what God is saying. And fixing your eyes to Jesus, friends, is meaning, it means that you, you do, you, you're open to what he's saying. It means you're reading his word. You're spending time and listening to his voice. Remember, he is a man seated at the right hand of the Father. It says that there. But he has given us his Holy Spirit so he can be with us all the time, 24-7. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Then it carries on. It says, he's the author, perfecter. I love this. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He is our ultimate uh, uh, faith example or witness. He didn't look at the cross. He looked beyond the cross at the joy of a church that has restored humanity, that has restored to its creator. And for that joy, he fixed his eye, put his eyes there. And for that joy, he endured whatever needed to happen to make that a reality. And so often, friends, our faith walks require a cost from us if we're going to be like Jesus. And he paid the ultimate cost so that we don't have to pay all the relational cost to be with God. But friends, there's still a cost to our faith. And I want to encourage you this morning. Get rid of the stuff that's slowing you down. Get rid of the stuff that's tripping you up and fix your eyes on Jesus. It is the key to where we're going in God and what God has for you. Carries on in verse 3 and says, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So it's not just fix your eyes, consider as a mental thing. So fix your eyes on him and then fix your thoughts on him. Think about it. Think about your walk. Think about your faith. It's not a blind leap. Think about it. Consider Jesus. Think about him who endured such opposition from sinful men. Can I I make this statement, friends? I really felt this this morning when I was preparing. If God has called you to a great task, there will be great opposition. In fact, if there's not great opposition, maybe you could ask the question, is it a great task? Maybe you could say that. But certainly you can say, if God's called you to something significant, and God's called you to put a dream on your heart that is significant, and the, the, the greater ranging it is, the more people it affects, the greater opposition you're going to have, friends. And he says, think of Jesus. Think of Jesus. Look at what he did, who endured sinful opposition from sinful people. 
Because what happens is, is we start to think, but Lord, this is not fair. These people are immoral. What they're doing is wrong. It's unjust. What about me? I'm doing everything right, and now they're coming against me. God says, fix your eyes on me. Think about me because this is what Jesus did. Do what I've told you to do. Hold your line. Keep moving. Keep walking forward. Keep going forward. He says, consider him who endured such opposition so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Will not grow weary and lose heart. And what, that's one of the dangers in our faith walk is that we get weary. I God, I've been doing this for, I haven't been employed for 10 years. Well, my marriage has been terrible for 20 years. And I've stuck in there and I've hung in there and I'm trusting you and I'm doing what I can. And, and what happens is slowly but surely we get weary. And weariness leads to losing heart. And as soon as you lose heart, you lose courage, you lose the very essence you start to missee what, hear what God's spoken. You, you, just, you just lose heart and you actually just fall apart. My prayer for us this morning and amongst all of this that I've said, this is the one word that I want to highlight. I want to pray for people that are weary. And for those that are weary, I want to encourage you with this. Think about Jesus. You endured opposition from sinful men. And he did it. Listen what, listen what it says. Last point, I'm gonna, and I, want, I would love us to pray for some weary people. He says this, for those that are weary, in your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You know, when I've read that, I've never, ever seen this text the way I saw it this morning. Whenever I've read that, I thought it sort of always doesn't make sense to me because you've resisted sin to the point of shedding blood. And then I thought, well, maybe that, what that is is Jesus at the cross, he so resisted the sin to say, I won't do your will. And he said, no, he will do your will, and he shed blood. Maybe that's part of that. But you know what? You know what? This is, I think this is another part to this, another layer to this text. In your struggle against sin, meaning in your struggle against the sin of the opposition, in your struggle against these sinful men that are opposing you, you have not shed blood. You have not struggled to the point of shedding blood. You're still alive. Maybe if the band could start going up, it'd be great. Friends, our walk of faith is exciting, it's exhilarating, it's amazing. Sometimes you think, can it be better than this? Sometimes you think, can it get any easier than this? But friends, in our walk with faith, sometimes we will say, can it get worse than this? And can it get harder than this? And if we look at what 
the writer to Hebrews is saying to these, this group of believers, but are saying, what now? I want to say to us a few simple things. Draw courage from those around you. Get rid of the stuff slowing you down. Even if it's good things, say no to it for the season. Deal with the sin that's winding you up and tripping you up. Ask God to give you a resilience and a perseverance. But part of the way you get a resilience and a perseverance is through consistency and being organized and understanding that actually you find the resilience when you're in tough times, not when you're in good times. Fix your eyes on him, the author and perfecter. He knows exactly what you've been through. He's endured worse. He knows exactly where you're at. He knows all things. He's not going to leave you alone. He's with you. Fix your eyes on him. Think about him. Meditate on him. Let his word minister to you. So that when sinful opposition, when opposition comes, whether it's from sinful people or just ignorant people or just when opposition comes, you're able to stand, withstand the opposition and keep walking and still stay Jesus-like. See, it's not a moment when we have opposition to start punching people in the guts and start acting like Jesus wouldn't. But the, way, the way, only way to do that, friends, the only way to do that is when your eyes are fixed on Him. You're consumed by Him. You are in love with Him. You want to be like Him. And when you're in that place, you start to act like Him in the midst of all of this. And it's amazing what God does with us. Friends, this is a walk of faith. And I trust as we head into the book of Acts, because the book of Acts is absolutely exhilarating. And God is going to ask us to step out of our comfort zones. And God is going to ask us to do amazing things. And we're going to see God do amazing things when the faith from those early from the early church starts to get amongst us and get into our hearts. But friends, we need this walk with him in faith that will sustain what he wants to do with us. If you are in a place this morning, if you're in a place this morning and you're weary, I'd love us maybe just to stand. All of us. You're growing weary. And maybe you haven't lost heart and maybe you have lost heart. If you've grown weary this morning and trusting God for what he said and fighting the fight and the battle that you're fighting and remember you've all, we've all got our own races. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to put strength into weary arms and weary legs and weary hearts and weary minds this morning. And that strength is going to come because what's going to happen is God's going to turn your eyes back to Him. He's going to turn your minds back to Him. And you're going to start to consider and you're going to start to contemplate Jesus. And you're going to start to see Jesus differently to what you did before. And it's actually going to put strength inside of you so that you can walk the race, run the race that God's called you to do. So if that's you this morning, if that's you this morning, if you've grown weary, why don't you come forward? And the reason why I'm asking you to come forward is not because there's anything special about the front and there's anything because actually God can speak to you. Come forward, come forward. 
God can speak to you at the back and God can touch you at the back and he can touch you in the front. Makes no difference. The issue is, it's an issue of humility. It's an issue of acknowledging. It's an issue of saying, God, actually, I need your help here. And as soon as we do that, friends, the grace of God comes into our humility and strengthens us. That's what the Bible says. So just come. I know there's a few more people. Don't we're not we're gonna pray. Just the front row, just come out a little bit more space out so we can get people through there. Just put some space between all of you. Just come forward a little bit, yeah. Some leaders to start coming forward and praying for these guys. I'm gonna pray a blanket prayer and then some leaders will come and pray for you. Father, we get great courage and great strength from your scriptures, Lord. When we're in the waiting phase, it's so easy to get weary and to lose heart, Lord. And I pray for these men and women that have come up and those men and women that maybe haven't come up that are just too afraid to come up. I pray, Lord God, you'd put strength in their hearts, Lord. Where there's a weariness that's, that's come into their spirits, into their hearts, Lord, into their minds. I pray that you'd bring a Holy Spirit energy, your life Holy Spirit, your, your, your uh, dynamite energy, your, your, just the power of the Holy Spirit would come and energize again and bring strength again and bring fixed eyes again and right thinking again in your amazing name, Lord God. Holy Spirit, we rely on you. We trust you for what you're wanting to do. Father, I pray, Lord God, that going forward from today, Lord God, people would, we would have a strength to get rid of the stuff that's slowing us down and the stuff that's tripping us up, Lord. Give us strength, Lord God, like you did all those ancients that were commended. They all doubted at some measure. They all suffered in some measure. But they also all never gave up, Lord. I pray for staying power, Lord God, in people's hearts and minds on the race that they're in so that they can reach the, 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 the ribbon, Lord, and cross and stretch forward with chests out, Lord God, as they run through the finish line, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your greatness, Lord. We thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your amazing kindness and love, Lord God, that's over us. In your amazing name. Thank you, Lord.